Welcome to the show. I'm your coach, Elizabeth, and today's guest is Dr. Regine Maradian. She is a child psychologist. She's also an author of three children's books. And today we talk about stress and anxiety in our children. Is there an amount that we should be worried about? Is there an amount that is normal? How do we know if they're presenting physical symptoms? We talk about ticks in children. My children have had ticks throughout the years. And we just talked about like what's normal, what's not normal. At what point do you need to get a psychologist for your child? Is there a certain amount of stress that's okay for them? And are we hovering a little bit too much on our children or is it really necessary at this point? So we had a great chat. I felt like I got, you know, an hour's worth of therapeutic insight for the perfect price of free. So hopefully you guys um, love today's episode. Be sure to take note on some of the things that she points out as far as like when to calm down and know that it's quote unquote okay or normal or a normal milestone for children. And when it's something that you should probably lean into and seek help from a professional. So I hope you enjoy. Dr. Regine, it's so good to see you again. Um, I think that today's topic is super important. There are a lot of parents out there who are rushed. We're feeling a lot of, I feel like, I don't want to say like discord, but a lot of additional stress, maybe higher than normal with the current events that are going on in the world. And then you've also got this fear of like COVID is maybe coming back with a vengeance. We're starting to creep into cold and flu season. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it just feels like, oh my God, like how much more can we take? And then we start thinking about our children. How are our children working through this? So thank you so much for being here today to talk and kind of unpack some quick ways to address how we're feeling and our children are feeling. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great. Dr. Regine is somebody that I kind of, when I when something comes up, I'll quickly DM her or text her and be like, what do you think of this? She's got a series of books that I want to talk about as well, which are wonderful. You actually gifted me one and I brought it home to my children the other night and they dove right in. I wasn't sure the 11-year-old was going to take to it because um, the animation or the illustrations in it, but she actually really loved it. So I want to talk to you about like, what are some tools that we can use for our children if we do think that they're presenting a little bit more anxiety or stress? But before we jump into that, let's back up and learn a little bit more about you and what you're most passionate about, you know, speaking on. So I think to a lot of the things that I really love to do is, um, so besides being a children's author, which I just kind of naturally fell into that, it just happened. And uh, that's just, I, I, mean, I always try to encourage people to like kind of dive in into their creative side. So you have the therapy part of you or the coaching part of you, and then Really, it's about we all have this kind of talent or this gift or something that we're really interested in doing. And for some, you know, for many therapists, it could be like, you know, some are musicians, some are singers, some are guitar players, some are, you know, just it really depends what they're interested in. So that's um, one of the things I really like to bring to the table is in terms of really igniting your creativity and through the therapy. So that kind of brings me back to what are we really seeing now in kids, which we know, look, anxiety and stress are on the rise. I, I think with COVID, and I don't know what you're experiencing, I feel that there's more of that acceptance or there, that there's less fear around that. It's like, I'm sure. Bed and then I'm just recovering from it. So I'm not really seeing or sensing a lot of fear around that like we used to have, which is good. But definitely anxiety's always been there. That's definitely been on the rise. And we were talking about that too and how it's manifesting also into physical symptoms like ticks and yeah different types of things to look out for. Yeah, I'd love to talk about ticks because the more parents and specifically mothers that I bring it up to, the more I feel like they've experienced it as well. 
And I don't feel like a lot of people are talking about this, but both of my daughters around the ages of between like five and nine, I started to see some ticks. And maybe you can explain exactly what those are, but I'll tell you know our audience what ours presented as. So Vivian would blink a lot. She'd sniff a lot you know, in a row. And then she would also open her mouth super wide as if she was yawning a few different times. And then at one point, she was crossing her fingers a lot, it, it, which seems really minor, but it was constant, right? It was this constant crossing her fingers. And then so things with her hands, there were never any verbal ticks, but they would kind of go from one tick to another. And at one point, it was pretty intense to the point where she was getting made fun of in second grade and third grade. And so I took her to the pediatrician and they said, it sounds like it's anxiety. So I would love for you to just shed any light that you can on what ticks are, what are quote unquote, you know, to be expected or in a line with just a child's growth development. And then when we should maybe have a little bit of caution and want to get it checked out with a therapist. So I I think with ticks, just in general, just the lay person or parent wouldn't think that it's connected to anxiety, okay? And when we talk about anxiety, we always have this negative connotation about it, or we talk about ADHD or all these other presentations. I, I look at it as, you know, it's something that's there that, yes, is difficult for you, have difficulty functioning in your day to day life. However, I really want kids and also teens and adults to kind of see it. What is the positives that it brings out for me? So when we go back to ticks, ticks is all about control, right? So if a child's internally doesn't feel in control, ticks can start manifesting. If a child doesn't feel in control or even adults as well and teenagers, some people as a result of anxiety may go into emotional eating. Everyone has their thing, right? We've seen excessive gambling. There's all these different types of, we call them like addictions or things that you kind of get tied into. Why? Because it gives you a sense of control. So think about it. Wow tick like a sniffling, right? A sniffling or a throat grunting or a constant blinking with the eyes or even like nail picking yeah. or even when like you're like tapping your leg really fast or maybe even just like repeating a certain word over and over. These are all different forms of ticks that can present. So the first thing is as a parent, well, you did it too. We recognize it. We saw it. I think when we say don't do that or stop doing that with your nose or stop doing that with your throat. You're kind of taking control away from them. So when we say don't do it, what do kids do? More. They do more. Yes. I really want to understand bringing attention, not bringing so much attention to it, but understanding what's happening. Let's kind of look at the environment. What are some other stressors? Are there, is there more homework at school? Has there been any um, conflicts at school with your child? Is there maybe any social media pressure? Obviously, I know with your little ones are yeah. smaller, but these are all things to look out for. If you notice that the ticks are not stopping and it's kind of becoming continuous, then it's definitely helpful to work with a therapist who specializes in anxiety to kind of what to unload a lot of those emotions. And I want to start, yeah. right? Yeah. So parents aren't necessarily going to be kind of the default place for them to unload their emotions, right? Because when our daughter was, when her tics were getting worse and and the pediatrician told me it was anxiety, I thought, this kid lives the most charmed life of any child I've ever met. Like, are you kidding me? And I couldn't help but feel a little defensive as a mother because it's like, I think sometimes we can internalize it like, oh, well, I'm, I'm doing my best and I'm creating the most comfortable environment. I can see, you know, in my mind, the, the the childhood I wish I had, I'm giving to my child. 
But I think it's really important for us to detach because it isn't about us. I mean, it really is about our kids. And I love that you said, you know, try not to call it out. And that was the first thing that we stopped doing was I would say to her, she was sniffing a lot. I would say, do you need to blow your nose? Like, what? why are you doing that? And she would say, it just feels good when I do it and I can't not do it. And I would just say, okay. And then I just stopped. And when we went and, you know, met with grandparents or anybody, I would tell them, hey, listen, she's been doing this thing. Please don't point it out. Don't ask her to stop. And I think to your point, Regine, like that really helped just not bringing attention to it actually, I think, helped it go away. And as you're talking about emotions, okay, so this is this scenario that, again, not just with our kids, but even us as adults, right? Talking about our emotions and what's an example of an emotion? Identifying that you're feeling overwhelmed, that you're feeling stressed, that you're maybe irritable or whatever it is that you're feeling. And this is really important for us as parents to engage in those conversations with our kids in order to prompt and help them express those emotions. Because the more they, I call it purge or feel like there's that safe place where they can, you know, speak. And I mean, I have, mm-hmm. right. So my older one was 18. They're all so different. So my middle one, she's, she loves to talk. She loves to share. It's like, I'll know everything that's going on, which is amazing. Yeah. And even though, you know, she struggles with anxiety as well, you'll notice that that really helps with the purging process. So if she says to me, mom, I need to talk to you, right? So this is a daily thing. And I know that at that moment, because she said it, you got to drop everything you're doing and look at me in the eye and let's sit and let's talk because I want to talk. So I can't be doing anything else. I can't be cooking. I can't be. uh, Right. They want your attention. So with the ticks, the thing that's important is you have to remember that if they start with an eye tick, that may disappear. And then the nose, and then that may disappear. And then something else may come in. So present with physical symptoms, that means that they're more of the internalizers, the introverts. So that means there's a lot of emotion here pent up. And look, that's their personality. They know how to express themselves. So that's a great cue for parents to step back and really say, okay, so I'm noticing the nail biting. I'm noticing this. My kid's kind of quiet. Don't really see any anxiety because you have the introverted anxiety and extroverted type anxiety. So I love that you said that. No, I hadn't heard of that. And it's so funny because the the daughter who was presenting with these ticks is the most, we I think I would label her as an extrovert. You know, she's quick to make friends, but she says things a couple of days later. You know, the older one will say it right then, like yours, like your 16-year-old will just kind of say it. And the other one is um, maybe ruminating on it a bit. But I wonder too, like post-pandemic, do you think that ticks can be um, prompted by a trauma or I know almost every kid out there now has an allergy. The one, my daughter who has the most ticks has a lot of food allergies. And it was something like when, when I was talking with her therapist about like, I think she lives a charmed life. I don't think she has anything to be anxious about. And she's like, she's anxious all the time because she's really allergic to dogs, cats, nuts. I mean, this child, this poor kid is allergic to everything. So every time she leaves the house, she feels this anxiety. Like even if we see a dog on the sidewalk, she will grab me and she gets very nervous. And it's not because she thinks she's going to get bit. It's because she doesn't want to have a reaction. And so that was this whole other layer. I think we can be looking at our kids and say, oh, they're happy-go-lucky. But if they have any sort of allergy or maybe they did experience something that felt traumatic to them, is that something that could be deeper within the surface that could be triggering the ticks? Yes, absolutely. And I love you bring up 
you know, everything's rainbows and what do we say? Sunshine. Sunshine and everything is great. And I'm providing the best life for my child. Here's, here's, here's what I tell adults all the time, because by that point, they've already lived their childhood and you know this, and we've all experienced it. No one has, no matter how amazing I provide or no matter what I provide to my child and I try to make the best environment, they will not escape the little traumas that are going to come at them. And they cannot escape anxiety and depression and all these things that are going to come at them, right? So I think this is part of us as moms being more gentle on ourselves and compassionate with ourselves and forgiving almost and not feeling guilty because, you know, then you have that mom guilt. And well, wait a minute. I thought I did everything perfect or perfect, quote unquote, because nothing is perfect. But my kid is still struggling. What did I do? And then parents take on that self-blame. I want to go back to the ticks, right? Mm-hmm. Got to remember that anxiety is genetic. What? Okay, say that again for the people in the back. <laughs> it's genetic. So if you, if, for example... In anxiety disorder, if, if my parent, if my mom or my dad or an uncle or genetically had an anxiety disorder, and you know, back in the days, it wasn't very diagnosed and mental health wasn't really a thing. Um, we're talking about 20 years ago. If it's in my genes, it's like just like addiction or any other like depression. I, it's, it's like this little box in the brain. Think about it like this little door. Now, what triggers that anxiety? What opens that door? Well, what opens that door could be like you know, like you said, it could be a stressor. It could be something that teacher said. Now, not all kids, right, have that door. So anxiety is very, it's more common than we think. It's different when I say I have a sprinkle of this or a sprinkle of that, meaning I have kind of anxious, anxious symptoms, mm-hmm. but I don't have an anxiety disorder, quote unquote, because you got to meet all this different criteria. That, that There's a difference there. If we open, I always tell people, and I'm so conservative when I talk about diagnoses. When I open the DSM book, our DSM or medical mm-hmm. book, book, I can look at all these different things like, oh, yeah, I got that. I got that. I got that. I got that. But that's just a rainbow and sprinkle of things, right? Yeah. So we really talk about anxiety and OCD. OCD is also anxiety. People think, oh, OCD is like just a cleanliness thing or I don't want to touch anything that's or I'm multiple hand washing. It's not just that. OCD is also thought rumination, intrusive thinking, rigidity, wanting to do things multiple times a day, right? Or thinking so much about something, you just can't get it out of your mind. And it's almost like an obsession, right? Yeah. So what do we do as parents, doctor, if we feel like our child is falls into that category of having anxiety, maybe because we, I mean, I'm definitely an anxious person. I mean, meditation and other tools have helped immensely with it. But I think to say that over the last four years, if you haven't felt like you qualify as having anxiety or any sort of something going on, then I I don't know, I would be really astounded to hear that because I feel like we've all been under a lot of pressure, specifically with the two wars that are now underway, not domestically, but internationally, our participation in them. I just feel like it's really hard to try to mask my anxiety from my children. So instead, I really just focus on me instead of I'll be an anxious mess after they go to bed or before they wake up in the morning. And then I'll try to flip the switch when they're around me because I don't think it works that way. I think it is this energy, this vibration that we're emitting. So is that the best course of action if we feel like we have an anxious child is to 
focus on ourselves, or is it focusing on both of us together or having separate support systems for each? Yeah. So I, I love that because we as parents are their role models, right? If I'm an anxious parent and an anxious parent can present in different ways, they could be repeating themselves. Let's just think about the morning routine, getting ready and out the door. Yeah. I maybe 10 times. Let's get out the door, do this, do that. And your child will respond to you with what they need. And they may say, you've said that too many times, mom or dad or whatever. I heard you the first time. That's a cue. You are making me anxious when you do that. They can't say that right at that moment unless you dig in a little deeper and step back in your conscious awareness and say, well, what is it that I can change as a parent? And I want to emulate this in couples and in partnerships because it's exactly the same behavior, right? Kids are watching us interact. They watch how we communicate with each other and they copy that behavior. It's almost like an imprint, right? Mm -hmm. So when we talk about anxiety just in general, I know we said, okay, the genetic part, but, and a lot of people will debate you on that, say, well, yes and no. But really what I want you to think about is, you know, it has to do with having life, you know, traumatic life experiences. You mentioned a physical condition like allergies is also present. Um, and also we talked about genetics in our family, right? We didn't talk about stomach aches though. Ooh, let's talk about them. You ever experienced that as a child? Oh my gosh. I had such bad stomach problems that they thought I had IBS. And I think I had my first colonoscopy when I was like 13 because they couldn't figure out what was going on with me because, you know, TMI, but like everything I ate went right through me and it was strong. I mean, my parents were at each other's throats. They were divorced. There was just a lot of upheaval. And looking back on it, I'm like, of course I was, you know, of course that was presenting as stomach aches. But I do wonder, my kids, that isn't something that they complain about, but I wonder about others because I've got lots of mom friends and their children are going through like severe stomach issues. And I always wonder if it's potentially linked to anxiety. So I, I want to go back and, and to the, I want to go back to the childhood and the, when I talk about the genetics. So the reason I was asking you, because myself as a kid, I do remember. So I moved to France when I was eight years old. So imagine an eight years old coming from America into a French school, right? No one asked you, are you okay? Just wasn't asked. You just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and you just figure it out. Yeah. I'm only speak English at this point and I'm thrown into a French full-blown classroom. Okay. What I remember my earliest memory is every day after school, my mom picked me up. I would have the worst stomach aches and she would think that I was just hungry. So she would get me something to eat, et cetera. But that could on and on. So my anxiety as a child was built from that traumatic experience. Beautiful experience, right? Oh, wow. You grew up in Monaco. What an experience. Yeah. Right. You know, it's amazing. But again, remember how you say environment? And they could say that too. Oh, I gave you the best of the best, right? What do you mean you're anxious? So environment is very important because for me, what's important is feeling that I fit in, feeling that I really understood the language. So all I knew was yes or no. That's yeah. all. I so that to me created, that's how I manifested it, right? Yeah. Back to the genetic component. Okay. It's there, right? That's how you identify it. And how do we really help our kids? And stomach and GI issues are number one. 
if it's a good GI doctor, he will tell you like, oh, we did all the, the tests. You're okay. Think about palpitations when people have heart palpitations, when they're having a panic attack. The first thing I do is I refer them out to go see a cardiologist, make sure you're okay, get that checked. If that comes out clean, then we know that, okay, this is like you said, a stressor and something else. So we all have our stories. COVID, like you said, are a lot of these kiddos' stories, their personal experiences. And that's why we have seen anxiety on the rise. Maybe that was, if genetically they've had it, was the door that opened for them. That was their stressor that today they're now teenagers, you know, a lot of them, or they're a little older and they're experiencing the remnants, right? Parents are still talking. Yeah, right. And it's still, I mean, every time we have to get a COVID booster or whatever, I feel like it does kind of bring it back. So I was going to ask you this. I love that you brought up the stomach because, you know, all of the podcasts I listen to say it's the second brain, you know? And so, right, like they are absolutely tied. So if your child is having any sort of of that, be sure to like treat it or right, at least get it evaluated head and um, actual like physical stomach. But I wanted to ask you about, I, I see all these fun memes on like Instagram and stuff about like how the, the shit we used to do when we were kids, right? Like getting thrown into a French school or like I was just talking to my husband last night about how when we were little, it was like, go play until the streetlights come on. And like, you know, my dad lived across the street from a lake and I was hiding from friends and I like rode, rolled myself up in a tarp, you know, at the end of this dock, could have fallen in the lake. and You know what I mean? Like just all of this stuff. We joke that our kids are so soft. But I wanted to ask you, is there a healthy amount of strife that our kids should be experiencing? like in their adolescence, so that when they grow up, they are equipped to be a little bit more flexible and withstand some of the things that will inevitably come their way? Yeah, I, you know, and as you were saying that, the first thing that came to my mind, us growing up, right? So not, we're not, I mean, we're in our 40s, so. Right. Up with phones and devices and the news were really just the news or a newspaper so we were very sheltered from what was happening, correct? Mm-hmm. Now, kids and us, we are exposed to everything. All right. I do want to share something because it ties in so beautifully here. I'm on Instagram this morning. I see Bark. I don't know if you've heard of Bark. So Bark is yeah. that. Apologies. Okay. So I follow them. And it said there, beware, child kidnapped, playing Roblox. Okay. Jeez. Oh, Not that. So what do I do as a parent? I'm sitting there and I'm forwarding this to my three, just because I know one of them plays Roblox. Yeah. My old one says, mom, I don't play Roblox. I go, I know, I just want you to be aware. This is conversation and awareness. I'm not sending this to scare you. So then it goes back to how do we have these conversations with our kids? Um, scary stuff that they're going to be exposed to. We have to be able to start those and initiate those. We can't ignore that. So that comes back to what happens to us now as parents, our anxiety levels, when we see all this, this this scary stuff happening in the world, we become hypervigilant, hyper aware, right? Where would you let your daughter out? I mean, if if men didn't exist, yes, but unfortunately men exist. And that's the difference, you know, like I feel like, yeah, could we have gotten kidnapped, you know, in the early 90s out playing? Sure. But I don't think our parents were as concerned about I don't think my parents give a shit at all. I, not that they did, I just don't think that it crossed their mind. I don't think it was like a potential. 
you know, because everybody knew their neighbors and stuff. But now it's, I mean, the more Dateline people watch and the more killer podcasts they listen to, it's like, yeah, it could be your neighbor who you've known for 10 years. And all of this stuff, I just feel like there's landmines everywhere for parents. And so you're right. So we're hyper vigilant. And, you know, we gave our daughter a phone at the age of 10. And I'm sure people have a lot of thoughts about that. But for me, it was safety. It wasn't social media. It wasn't this or that. But I I didn't want her to be at school with a gunman there and me not be able to get a hold of her. You know, like, this is scary shit. And so at one point, though, doctor, can we try to just put them in the white light bubble, if you will, and say, I trust that you're going to be divinely protected because otherwise it would be a full-time job of micromanaging our children just to create this false sense, I think, of security. Well, and it goes back to your initial question is how much how much leeway do we give them? So we have to give them that that freedom. So you know, I was telling you, I know the viewers know, but, um, and a lot of moms can probably connect with this. So my older one just left for college out of state five hours away. So imagine, you know, I, I think we, you know, the way I kind of built my, my mindset and said, you know, it's all about letting them build their independence, but we do have to prepare them. And the preparation starts right now. So what does that mean? Well, let's just keep it simple. Be aware of where they're at, okay? You have this amazing device that now you can see where they are at. This is not about me spying on you. This is about me knowing your location. And to have these safety conversations, not to scare you, because education is knowledge. If I don't know something, I don't know. But if they're armed with information, they know what to do. They're vigilant, you know, they're, they're word, they're aware. Great. You know what the birdie is? Have you heard of the birdie? Mm-mm. So the birdie is this alarm. Oh, God. Wow. One for her and one for her roommate. Okay. Amazing. And she puts it on her keychain and she goes, oh, I love this. This makes me feel so safe, especially if she's walking the streets and, you know, late at night. But it gave that layer of kind of protection so she knows to take care of herself. And I'll use words like, just pay attention to your surrounding. Like, don't try not to be on your phone when you're walking, not to be distracted. And these are the conversations we're having. And it's yeah. okay. But is it okay for them to know? I try to decipher this very thin line, too, of like trying to keep them in the bubble of feeling safe versus letting them know. Like, I feel like if I was to give my daughter a birdie, now she's only 11. She's not, you know, in the, in, you know, a, a large metropolitan city. But I feel like she would almost be like, oh, wait, so there's danger out there and I should be aware of that. And so part of me like wants to keep her innocent and feeling safe because I feel like once I open that, it's like a Pandora's box of like, okay, well, so every time I leave the house, then I'm potentially not safe. So then I need this, you know, and like even I know you're very spiritual. I'm very spiritual energetically. Like I don't walk with anything on me. And it's not because I don't know that there's an opportunity for it, but I almost don't want to focus on it and then therefore potentially draw it in. Like, at w- like it just gets really gray and kind of murky here of like, how much do we tell them and ourselves versus trying to stay in a place of confidence and perceived safety? Yes. Well, it's like taking um, uh, self-defense classes. Right. Like I don't because I don't want to think that I would have to use that. What? You have that naive. Right. No, it's, but I think it goes back to, I, I like what you said about the spiritual, the spiritual. I, know, I don't carry a birdie around. Okay. I don't. And I do believe that 
what we put out there is what we tend to attract, correct? Yeah. So if I'm not speaking negatively all day long, I'm going to attract neg- negativity. That's the basis of the Frankie book. It's all about shifting those negative thoughts into positives. It's the same concept. Now, there's a difference between I'm going to make my kids scared and fearful so they never leave the house again versus educating them. So, okay, so you guys are going to go and walk to from this person's house to this place. Okay, great. Just be aware of your surroundings or just text me when you get there. Though that's we're we're not inciting anxiety into it, right? Okay. For my older one, and just having she's 18, having that just being the first time away from home, it's a different conversation. Not have given that to her at 12, obviously, right? Yeah, Uh, 11. But they are, I think it's, it's, we see so much and they are exposed to so much that, you know, we are hopeful that that never happens. But at the same time, it's us sitting down and talking about it. You're going like for my, for moms who have older kids, you're going to a party. You know that now kids do not drink even like water or Sprite or Coke at a party. They, in terms of the red cups or anything, they will actually, to prom especially, they will take their own water bottles. <laughs> what I mean? So kids are, I know I've seen it. They're scared to even take, you know, safety measure for them because they're, they just, I don't trust what to drink there because I don't know if it's laced or, um, has anything in it. Yes. Wow. So, you see, now I, that, that teen is more hyper aware and yeah. is more cautious, which is okay. There's nothing per se wrong with that. I mean, if they're yeah. going to take your flask or whatever your, your water. I mean, I grew up in, I grew up in Missouri. We were drinking. I mean, I was drinking. I mean, I had raging house parties at 15. Like, I mean, it was crazy. Like, and I, I, it's smoking and drinking. I mean, I cringe. I was going to bars with a fake ID when I was 16. I'm super tall. So nobody ever hassled me. And, you know, it's Missouri. I don't think anybody cared. But I wonder too, like, I think when they're infants, we have these milestones of independence. And then it gets real murky when they're tweens and teens. And, Sometimes I'll see kids, you're, you're here in Southern California too. They're on e-bikes and they, they're like in packs. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so nervous for them. I'm like, this is a lot of independence and they're middle schoolers, a lot of them. And I think, okay, should my kid be? I mean, I'm never going to get her an e-bike, but like, should she be out like going to Starbucks and things like this by herself? I just feel like there aren't, there aren't a lot of guidelines past a certain age, like past them walking and talking, I guess everybody's just on their own. And I and I, I think, see, that's a parent. There is no right or wrong there. But I think it's really about to feel comfortable as a parent. I personally, I, I same thing, but I just let her go, oh, yeah, you know, my middle one said, oh, well, can I get an e-bike? And everyone's on the bikes and just want to bike to school. And But if we think about how we grew up, isn't that what we did? And it was so normal and you'd be out till. 10 o'clock at night and no one would ever flinch. And there was no way to reach you because the only way you could be reached is if you were home on a handline. Right. It was amazing. I think this, I think the takeaway doctor is, I think we need to keep having these kinds of conversations and conversations with our girlfriends and other parents, and then really try to stay in a place of non-judgment. Because even then I just shaded those people a little bit who have e-bikes for their kids. And I shouldn't because I see most of them riding pretty responsibly. You know, and so I think that is the biggest piece is 
to try to refrain from judging or condemning other parents for their choices. And then just staying in a place of neutrality, to your point, and just really adapting to whatever your child's needs are versus what everybody else is doing, right? Is that a takeaway we can maybe grasp onto? Yeah, and I, I want to say one last thing to you and I, and just go back to your childhood. And yes, we all have negative things that happened to us or, you know, things that we just now when we reflect back weren't so great. But why don't we look at the great things such as it built you into this independent, successful, resilient, strong woman. And right. that's what we want to take away, right? Is that we had all this independence. It was a different time, but that doesn't mean in this time in 2023, we cannot give our children the independence that they deserve, right? So that's where you and your comfort zone, we have to kind of gauge, all right, maybe not the e-bike, but you may be okay with something else. So um, yeah, ours was the phone. Ours was, you know, I caught a lot of flack for giving her that phone from a lot of people. But I don't really give a shit because I feel better that she has it. She feels better that she has it. So I think it really is like you just don't know what's going on. There are a lot of single parents out there, too. I can't imagine she would have way more independence if it was just me, frankly, because, you know, it's just would be a necessity at this point. Um, so thank you for sharing your time. Please, can you give us the titles of your books that will all be linked below? But I would love for you to just give a little quick synopsis of each. Uh, so Frankie and the Worry Bees, and you can find them all on Amazon. Um, I have Francine and her special talents. And I have uh, Frankie and his homeschool adventures. And my fourth one is coming out 2024 is Francine and her international adventures. So teaching kids about food and culture. And in the times we are now, acceptance, acceptance of one another, so important okay. and each other's religions and cultures and food and just really coming from that space of love and peace. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Regine. I feel like it starts with acceptance and then it goes to appreciation. So I hope we can get to the point where we're not only accepting, but we are really appreciating and loving these differences um, between us, even as moms and then as children. So thanks so much, everybody. Um, check out the show notes. All of Dr. Regine's links will be there. And thank you so much for spending some time. I feel a little bit better after talking to you. You gave me some much needed answers on the ticks. You saved me about $350 an hour right there. So thanks, everybody. And uh, definitely we'll have to have you back to talk a little bit more. Maybe we can talk more teen specific next time. So thanks. So, so great being on with you. 